Well, good morning, Bridgewater. If the service goes long, it's Don's fault, not the preacher. Well, my name is Tim Sullivan, and I uh, have a family photo I want to put up there. Uh, that's my wife, Shana, my four kids, Juliet, Andrew, Violet, and Edmund. And uh, my wife, Shana, and I, we've been married for 14 years, and it has been awesome. Put another picture up. Uh, those are it's a better picture of our kids. You can say aw. They're not that cute once they get going, but they are a joy right now. They're not here with us, and uh, so it is our privilege to be here with you guys and uh, spend some time with you. And so we love hanging out with our kids. We love uh, bringing them to playgrounds, parks, the beach. Um, they love playing board games, card games, hide-and-seek, all those things. And then uh, a little bit about Shane and I, we just love to hang out. Once we get the kids in bed, we watch just... We like to relax, watch some Netflix, Disney, or like old episodes of The Amazing Race. We also really love drinking coffee, so we're big coffee buffs there, yeah, heard that, clap. And uh, as far as I go, I, I enjoy uh, working out in the mornings, and uh, before I go to work, also like to read books a lot, and so I like to read a l wide variety of books, and one of the books I just finished is a book called No Surrender, and it's a book about a Japanese soldier in World War II, and his name was Hiro Onoda, and Hiro Onoda was a trained intelligence officer, in or and he was trained to carry out attacks against U.S. military, and on December 26, 1944, Hiro Onoda was sent to Lubang Island in the Philippines to hamper all military attacks, and so he was in charge of destroying the, the pier and destroying the, the airstrip, and he had orders that under no circumstances was he to either surrender or take his own life, and he landed on February 28, 1945, and in a short period of time, all but three other soldiers had either died or surrendered. So Onada was promoted to lieutenant, and he ordered the men that he was in charge of to take the hills and the mountains. And so Onada, he continued his campaign with the Japanese army. He was holding out, living in the, in the mountains, carrying out guerrilla warfare. And the first time they ever saw a leaflet announcing that Japan had surrendered was October 1945. Another cell had killed a cow, and they had found a leaflet left behind by island islanders, which read, the war ended on August 15th, come down from the mountains. However, they didn't believe it. They distrusted the leaflet, and they continued. They thought this leaflet was a scheme, and it was allied propaganda, and they also believed that if the war was indeed over, that they never would have been fired upon. But towards the end of 1945, leaflets were dropped from the air with a surrender order printed on them from General Yamashita that they had been hiding out in the mountains for over a year, and this leaflet was the only evidence that the war was over. Onada picked up the leaflet, they, they looked at it, they examined it, and they decided after they looked at it that this was actually a trick. Then on February 20th, 1974, 
Onada met a Japanese man named Norio Suzuki, who was traveling around the world looking for Lieutenant Onada, a wild panda, and the abominable snowman in that order. Well, after four days of looking, Suzuki found Onada. These guys had become really good friends, but Suzuki was not able to convince Onada to surrender. He couldn't convince him. Onada was waiting from orders from a superior officer. And so Suzuki goes back to Japan, shows the photographs of Onada. The Japanese government locate Onada's commanding officer, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, who would become a bookseller. So he's there working at Barnes and Nobles. They grab the guy and say, you've got to come back to the Philippines. He finds them back in the Philippines. And finally, on March 9th, 1974, he finally met with Onada, fulfilled his promise, quote, whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Onada, then relieved of his duty, hands over his rifle, 500 rounds of ammunition, grenades, and a dagger that his mom had given him that in case he was captured, he was to take his own life. It was on March 10th, 1974, 29 years after the war was over that Onada finally stepped into the reality of this truth. The war was over. And I think like many of us, are like Onada, still living in the hills, still living in the mountains, understanding that the truth has rained down, leaflets have come down, we've interacted with God's word, but we still live in doubt. We still disbelieve what is true, especially when it comes to God's love. And we think, well, maybe if I got my life in order, maybe if I got all these details ironed out, then God would really love me. Maybe if my life was more like this person, or maybe if my life was more like this, then God would really love me. And like Onada, we distrust what we read and we live in doubt. And the reality is that Christ has won the war. That Jesus died on the cross. He paid for sin. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he was resurrected. Everything is finished. And he did all of that out of love for his church, and we sit there, and we doubt, and we live in disbelief, but the good news is, you and I are not the first ones or the only ones to have that kind of doubt, and so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Romans chapter 8 this morning, Romans chapter 8, this is so cool, that, grab your Bible, go to the Bible app, open your Bible, get there, I don't want you to think that I'm just making this up, Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 31. While you're turning there, we'll start reading in verse 31. Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, 
is all at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I really want to narrow in on verse 35. Paul says, who will separate us? That word separate is the idea of driving a space. What or who can drive a space between you and God's love? And, and the answer, the, the resounding answer is no, nothing. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. Look at, Rome, or look at Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus is talking about people who are married, and this is what he says. He says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Same word. So the idea is that when two people become married, they become what? One flesh, right? They're, they're, the idea is that they're welded together. They're glued together. They're, they're tied together. Obviously two different people, but they're one. And the intent is, is not to separate. The intent is not to be divided. The intent is not to be pulled together, pulled apart. Sorry. And Jesus uses this same exact word. You, you should not separate. You shouldn't. That's not the intention. The intention is that you are one. You are joined together. And if you're in Christ, if you've put your faith in Christ alone, you are in him. You're joined together with him. You're united with him. And there's nothing that can separate you from that love. It doesn't matter what you've done or what's happened to you or what's going on in your world right now. The idea is that you are his son, you are his daughter, and nothing can separate you. Notice also in Romans 8.35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is that word, that agape love. It's the supreme concept of love. It's, it's grounding itself in Christ. And everything that he did on the cross for you, that's agape love. It's this sacrificial love that Jesus, who was perfect, who had always obeyed, never sinned, willingly gave himself up on the cross for you and I. He laid down his life. Romans 5.8 talks about how God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. 
And so there's this sacrificial love going on that, Rome, that Paul is talking about here. That it is present, but it is permanent. And here's an observation I've made about people. I don't know if this is true about you. But I know that when I'm having a, a bad day or a bad week, I tend to think that God is upset with me. Have you ever had those weeks where, where you've kind of blundered a relationship, everything at work has just gotten turned upside down, things with, with you and your spouse are not right, things with you and your kids are starting to be stressed, and there's just everything is happening and unraveling at the same time, and it's just bad day after bad day after bad day after bad day, and we tend to think, man, this stinks. And you start to wonder, does God really love me? Or maybe you're wrestling with, with a sin or a temptation, and it feels like it just kind of comes up over and over and over again. And you try to push it away, you try to shove it away, you try to run away, and it just keeps on showing up. And you wonder, okay, if God really loved me, would this really be going on right now? But I want to tell you that God does not take his cues about you from you. He looks at you, and he sees you as his son or his daughter, and he goes, I love you. There is nothing that can separate you. He is presently loving you. It is permanent. I think sometimes we, we think that God might also look at the filter of how we interact with people or, or how we behave, and he looks at this filter, and he goes, okay, man, they're really messing up again. Or look at, look at what other people think of, of them. Things aren't really good with you and the boss. Or things aren't really going well at school. Or the coach is yelling at you. And everybody seems to have it out for you. And it's almost like God picks up this filter and he goes, they're messing up again. They don't even, those people don't even like them. And we begin to question and doubt his love for us. And the reality, I reality is that there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. So he goes on to talk about this love of Christ. The emphasis there is on this past, present, and future love. The truth is, if you've placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, there is absolutely Nothing that can separate you from that love. You're tied in. You're united. And so I want you to know that God's love is present. God's love is present. But not only is it present, there's a, there's a question, right? Can I actually be separated? Look what he says. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Can, is, is there anything, is there a who or what that can separate us? And I would say there is nothing. Romans 10, verse 25 through 28 says, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
no one. You're, you are absolutely secure in the hand of God. That, that salvation is secure. It can't be lost. It can't be taken away. And nothing and no one can ever separate you from that love. So it is, he is presently loving you, but God's love protects his sheep. It is impossible for anyone or anything to separate us from that love. So, God's love is protecting. But he also gives us a list of different circumstances. Here's the list of circumstances. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all of these things. Paul is saying, here are some things that the Christian might experience that you ought to be aware of, that people will wonder, is this something in my life that can actually remove me or separate me from the love of Christ? The first word is, is trouble. This is the idea of being squeezed or placed under pressure. Is there any difficulty in your life, anything that can squeeze you or, or happen in your life that can keep you from that love? So there is no difficulty, there is no temptation, there is no trial, there is no challenge in your life, no matter how overwhelming or how daunting it may be. What Paul is saying is that there is no trouble that can separate you. I think sometimes life has a way of, of kind of turning up the pressure, doesn't it? That the pressure increases, it gets turned up, things become worse or more challenging in your life, and all of a sudden, we begin to, to doubt. And there we are, like, like Onada, living up in the hills, living up in the mountains, even though we've read God's word, even though we've interacted with the scriptures, even though we're, we're a part of a small group, even though we, we come to church and we serve, we wrestle and we doubt. Does God really love me? I mean, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow this situation to happen right now. If God really loved me, he wouldn't be letting this happen with my kids. If God really loved me, he wouldn't be allowing this to happen with my marriage. And we doubt. And like Onada, we need to step into the reality of this truth and remind ourselves, he loves you. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you. The next word he uses is hardship. Or distress. It's a compound word. It's narrow in space. It's the idea of being confined or kind of hemmed in. This is similar to trouble, similar to tribulation, but you're being confronted with something that can't be avoided. It just shows up in your life. There are hardships that you and I face. Maybe you've faced the same temptation, the same sin over and over again. It just feels like you're just kind of going through that cycle. And I want to encourage you that God uses all things. That's Romans 8. God uses all things to conform you and I to the image of Christ. Romans 8 starts with, now therefore there is no condemnation 
If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And he ends with, there is no separation. That's good news. And you and I have to be reminded of that because we have a tendency to doubt. The next word he uses here um, is persecution. And sometimes you will face persecution. In fact, there's Christians on the other side of the world right now that are being persecuted for their faith. If they're found with, with the Bible app on their phone, their lives are in jeopardy. And that itself is not an indicator that God doesn't love you anymore. In fact, God uses all things. The good, the good things, the praises, the blessings, and the hardships. He uses all of those things to conform us to the image of Christ. Here's what Corey Ten Boom says. She says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. And how many of us are going through that dark tunnel right now wondering when is the light going to appear? When are things going to get better? As if when it gets better, then that is an indicator that God really, really loves me. But the reality is, he is that engineer. He is working all things together for good. That you and I would be conformed to the image of Christ. Next word is, is famine or hunger. This could actually be a result of persecution. There may be Christians in the other side of the world right now who are wondering where that next meal is going to be because there are other people who hate Jesus and they're going to make it as difficult as possible. It could also be a result of just there's a lack of crops. Let me ask you this. Who's in charge of all of that? God. But do we really believe that? Or when we see the shortage of food, when we see things not going right, do we go back to questioning and doubting and wondering, does God really care? Does God really love me? Does God really hear me when I talk to him? And Paul is saying, there is absolutely nothing. And then he uses, he says, there's not, not even nakedness, danger, or sword not even being without adequate clothing, not even being in danger, not even being mistreated for your faith, not even losing your life can separate you from that love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, look, I think I know what it's like. This is what Paul wrote. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm, taking, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On a frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, right? 
danger, danger, danger. Right? He's saying, look, I've gone through all of these difficulties and toil and hardships, through all these sleepless nights and hungers. Paul, the Apostle Paul, went through some really traumatic things. If anybody had any reason to doubt and question God's love, it might have been Paul. And having gone through all of those challenges and those difficulties, Paul is writing this letter to this church in Rome, and he's saying there is absolutely nothing that can separate you. We have assurance that God's love is absolutely amazing, even when things are tough, even when things don't make sense. His love is powerful. But we tend to worry, don't we? Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 30 through 33. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but instead of worrying, what should we do? Seek first the kingdom of God. I think he says that because he knows that you and I are really good at living for a kingdom, and it's not always the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's the kingdom of self. I'm really good at building my own little kingdom of self, the kingdom of Tim. It's really small. I can't go anywhere. I can turn here. I can turn there. But it is a sad kingdom. But imagine what happens when we take that worry, all the things that we're concerned about and worried and plagued about, and we put those off and we decide, okay, I'm going to live for the kingdom of God. Even though things do not make sense right now, even though I'm confused about what's happening in this world, I can remind myself over and over and over again that nothing can separate me from this amazing love. So then he goes off into verse 36. He says, as it is written, and he's quoting Psalm 44. He's quoting Psalm 44, verse 22. And this is what Paul is quoting. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart, yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Sometimes suffering is a battle scar and not a punishment. Sometimes suffering is a battle scar and not a punishment. The psalmist is saying because they fought this war for God, they were experiencing disaster. They were experiencing hardship. And it was as if they were being treated like sheep, being led to the slaughter. And Paul is saying, you are not defeated. In fact, not only are you not defeated, but, but here's what he says in verse 37. Knowing all these things, you are more than conquerors. You're like a super conqueror. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing that can separate or drive a wedge or a space between 
God's love for you. It is absolutely amazing. And you are more than a conqueror. Not only can these things not separate, separate us, but God intends to use these things. He intends to use these things to conform us to the image of Jesus. And so God's love for you is absolutely amazing. And so his love is present, his love is protecting, and his love is powerful. And so he asks these four questions in this verse. The first question is who can be against us? The answer is no one. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one. Who will condemn? No one. Who will separate you from the love of Christ? No one. God's love is absolutely amazing. And so let me help you picture, just imagine for a moment what would happen in your life if in this week you began to really live out that truth. Imagine what would happen in this church, in this community, if you went wherever you're going this week and you really began to come out of the mountains and step into the reality of that truth that God's love is amazing and nothing can separate you, and you began to live it out. What would it look like for your marriage? What would it look like with your relationship with your kids? What would it look like with your relationship with the lost person that you're praying for? How would that change everything? This ought to transform our minds. These truths should lead us to worship. These truths should kind of stir up our affections. I should love Jesus even more because I've wrapped my mind around how amazing this love is. But I should also let this truth kind of lift me from discouragement. That when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, I need to remind myself of God's love. It should lift me from that. But also, these truths should embolden you for the mission of making more and better disciples. That the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God should stir up a courage and a boldness to go be missional into your community and make more and better disciples. So I want to leave you with this. His love is present, his love is protecting, and his love is powerful. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, we are thankful. We're thankful that you love us. It doesn't always make sense. We're thankful that nothing can separate us from that amazing love. And as we get ready to sing more to you and about you, we ask that you would continue to work in our lives, that you would continue stirring our hearts, you would continue to work and help us to go be more and better disciples, that we would be focused on the mission and we would just be all consumed with who you are. Pray that as we enter into our week, that we would be reminded of this truth. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing one last song. Let's all stand together.